Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it may be for you. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. I want to kick this one off for thanking so many people for chiming in on my Facebook page for the last episode of the podcast, which was about using tarantulas to get over arachnophobia. And again, one of the things I try to do when I put up you know, anything, whether it be a video or a podcast or an article is try to get other people involved so it's not just my word. And I don't have all the answers. I think that needs to be made very clear. So what may have worked for me as far as getting over my fear of tarantulas and eventually my fear of true spiders may not necessarily work for someone else. So that's why I love going out and having other people chime in. And it's already worked really well because ironically I had, well, not so much ironically, it just so happened that somebody emailed me recently and was asking how long it took me to get over my fear of spiders. They have just gotten into a hobby. They have two, I believe, an albopolosum, and I want to see a, uh, say a hammer eye, and they're still feel, feeling that fear, and they're worried that it's not going to go away and ask how long it will take, and I was able to go, well, A, here's a podcast I just did on, not to shamelessly self-promote, but one of the reasons I do the podcast is kind of an ulterior motive, which I love about them in the videos, is that when I do inevitably get these questions, I can kind of spare myself writing a huge long email, which saves a lot of time, and give them links to the videos, and just say, hey, if you have any questions afterwards, please ask me, and sometimes they do, sometimes they just get a, hey, thanks, that pretty much answered it, so it saves Saves me a lot of time in that respect. So what I was able to do is not only send a link to the podcast and say, hey, if you have a moment, go through this. I, I talk a lot about it. But even better, if you don't feel like going through the whole podcast, a lot of people chimed in on this one and shared their experiences, which was fantastic, which was exactly what I wanted. Because those uh, Facebook page, again, I'm not the huge Facebook person a lot of people are. But I do think it's it's a great place to kind of archive some of the archive some of these responses I get from the podcast because every once in a while somebody doesn't agree and then we can kind of have a nice dialogue about it and figure out where we we you know differ in opinions. Uh, it's a lot different I think from YouTube where people can just come on and throw any garbage on there they want and then they don't generally the people that tend to do that aren't there for a debate or to discuss or to learn. It's just to kind of you know, be a troll. But I think the people that are posting about this on the Facebook page obviously are fans of the work. They like what I'm doing. And then we can get into a nice little discussion about it, which is fantastic. So thank you all who chimed in. I did read them all and, and I didn't respond to all of them because it was starting to get uh, a, bit, a bit lengthy. And I figured I could just do a huge shout out for everybody that took the time to do it. Now, I did get one email after it from someone, I'm not going to use their name because I just responded today and I didn't ask permission. I don't want to, you know, sometimes people don't want their names on these things. Sometimes they do and they're like, yeah, sure, please mention it. And sometimes they don't. So we had somebody basically email and ask their, their big issue right now is when they get a threat posture or a tarantula that slaps that it, it freaks them out and asking how long it takes to get over that. And that's a tough one for me because honestly, I, I can still be startled when that happens. That's not necessarily something that I'm going to completely get over. And I, I think it's it's funny because it kind of comes back to where the kids play a, a game where they, you know, they try to make each other flinch. We remember that one, two for flinching, which is one of the most moronic games I've ever seen in my life because the idea behind it obviously is, you know, you pretend like you're going to punch the person or slap them. And when they inevitably flinch because, I don't know, they have good reflexes that are telling them somebody's about to punch them in the face and maybe they should do something about it, you hit them for being kind of a baby, which is ridiculous. And I teach high school and the kids amazingly still play that. Of all the stupid stuff that you thought would have died over the years, you know, the past how many decades that game's been being played, they still do it. And I had to try to explain to them, 
Like, listen, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with him. If you don't flinch, there's something wrong with you because that's a natural reaction. That's just basically self-preservation skills. If something's coming at you and you just stand there, it's going to hit you in the face. So it's not a question of being tough or being, you know, a, a baby or whatever. It's a question of your your reflexes, which are something people kind of need to survive. And I kind of think it's the same way with tarantulas and the I've, I've had people like, oh, they can they can come at me. I don't even move my hand. I don't I don't get which is great. You know, God bless you. I, I kind of wish I could do that. But for me, if I'm working with a spider that could potentially put me in the hospital with a bite and we don't want to over exaggerate. I probably I probably have too much pride to go to the hospital. I'd be embarrassed. But in theory, some of the old world species, I might go seeking some type of relief from the pain. I don't want to take that chance. So if it comes at me, my natural reaction, if something is coming at me in a way that means they want to possibly inflict pain on me, whether it be somebody throwing a punch, whether it be somebody accidentally throwing a ball or something that's coming toward my head, or whether it be a tarantula that is obviously going, hey man, I'm going to bite you if given the opportunity. It behooves me to flinch. It behooves me to get my hand out of the way. So I've always taken as if, and again, I'm not, if you're one of those people out there that can sit there and the tarantula goes at you and you don't even budge, God bless you, got nerves of steel, congratulations. I'm just saying that's not the normal thing to do. And I think people see somebody flinch when that happens or get scared when that happens and feel like there's something wrong with them. It means they're afraid of spiders. No, you're probably just naturally hardwired to be afraid of of having harm inflicted on you, which I think is very normal. So I, I do think that in some respects that some people aren't ever going to get over that. Is your adrenaline going to go up? I'll tell you right now, I work with spiders all the time. I'm very, very, and I've, I've mentioned this before, very lucky in that I don't get a lot of threat postures. I haven't been put in a ton of situ- knock on wood because I have to do a bunch of rehousings this weekend and like four of our pokies, but I haven't been put in a ton of situations where I had to deal with a particularly ornery tea. Usually if I go to do a rehousing or I go to move one and they're acting a little bit ornery or I let they start throwing a threat posture, I walk away. There's no point in dealing with them right like that. And I've told people that before, like, what do you do when this happens? Like, what do I do? I put the cap back on the enclosure. I put it back up on the shelf and I come back another day. I'm not going to bother with it. There's no point as far as I'm concerned, unless you have something that you absolutely, it's an emergency and you have to get the tarantula out of there ASAP, then no, there's no real reason that you can't just walk away for a little while. So I still, and I'll throw it out there and I'm sure this is, you know, if you do this, I love the podcast community a bit more because I think people that are looking for these podcasts specifically appreciate what I'm bringing to the table. And they're not just stumbling on a podcast and then going, what is this garbage? I don't even like tarantulas. And then coming over and making a trollish comment on my Facebook page. It's people that are all, they want to be here, for lack of a better phrase. Where YouTube, you can attract anybody off the street that just happens to pop on one of your videos and and you get what you get. So I do like that fact. So I have no problem admitting here. I've admitted, I've said it on YouTube before, but it's just I've had a couple people, oh, come on, man, don't be afraid. Whatever. I get startled when they when they jump. I, I have no problem admitting that. I mean, if I'm sitting there working with the tarantula, and obviously it's always in the back of my mind that when you're doing a rehousing or working with them closely, that that's something you got to be careful of. It's it doesn't make any sense to go in there blindly and like, oh, nothing's going to go wrong. You always have to plan for it. You have to have in the back of your mind. All right, let's plan for if it shoots out here, if it does that. And if I have a situation where I open it up or I'm feeding, or I mean, I think the worst that's ever happened is trying to do this, the feeding videos every once in a while. Like I'll do one of the off the tongs challenges with Mark from Mark's Tarantulas, for example, where we have a little fun 
with it, but we're trying to get these good feedings on. So I do some things I normally don't do when feeding tarantulas. And there's been a couple cases, like I go to drop the roach in front of it, the thing turns around, wheels at me and slaps. That gets my heart racing. That gets my adrenaline going. I think that's totally natural. That's when you're doing a rehousing and that happens. Sometimes I think one of the issues we have is we get complacent. And we forget sometimes because I, I found myself doing it. I'm working with a uh, rehousing the H Diva Mathi the other day. Diva Mathi, I always put an N in there. And it was, it's one of the fastest ones I've got as far as I'm, I've seen that thing move so quickly. It's up there with the uh, Crassabees as far as just being able to dart out. So I, I was a little worried about that one, but I'll tell you, the blood was pumping a bit and it was like, it came out one point, looked like it was going to shoot out. But the trick is you need that so that you don't get complacent. You don't get lazy. You don't forget for a moment where you're at, what you're doing. And the, and the fact that, you know, one little lapse in concentration and this thing's out in the house. And now I've got to worry about dogs. I've got to worry about kids. I've got to worry about a ridiculously understanding wife, maybe turning around going, wait a minute, this is crazy. So it does getting a little adrenaline boost, getting the heart moving when one slaps or bites at you, I think that's totally normal and doesn't necessarily mean that you're still afraid of spiders. I'll put it this way. If I'm petting a dog and the dog's ears go back and its eyes go up and it snaps at me, I'm going to have my adrenaline's going to get going. Even if it doesn't get me, I'm going to be a little nervous. It's going to get my heart pumping. That's natural. I love dogs. I have absolutely no fear of dogs. I've actually stupidly walked up to dogs before. Afterwards, people are like, oh, man, he's actually bitten people before. So it's not that I'm afraid of them. It's just that's the natural reaction to have. So on this on this topic, that doesn't necessarily mean you're afraid of them. However, I think where it becomes an issue is if, and I've heard from people before that this is the ones, it usually happens with folks that are moving from new world tarantulas to old world tarantulas because they have in the back of their mind very clearly and, uh, you know, what a bite could mean. They've read the bite reports, many of them. And these are the ones that actually go and do their homework and go, ooh, this can put a real hurt on me. They do not want to get bit by these things. So in the back of their mind, worst case scenario is I'm going to get bit. Second worst case scenario, I'm going to get bit. Like all that's in the back of their mind is I don't want to get bit by these things. So that can make you extra nervous. But I've had folks that get into it, into the hobby. They get their first old worlds and things are, they're like, yeah, I've kept the you know, old worlds now for about three months and I have this and that. And I went to rehouse my, you know, my OBT, whatever it may be. There's a, it's usually some type of old world species and they get a threat posture or the tarantula bolts and then they are terrified. And I had one young woman, assuming young woman, she, she was in college. So I'm assuming, although it could have been an older woman, went back to college, but she, it was a P. murinus. And when she went to go and get the thing to get a molt out of its den, and again, you can leave them in there. Don't put yourself in any danger getting the molts out. It's not that big of a deal. But when she went in to get the thing freaked out, kind of charged out of the den, you know, fangs bared and everything. And she said from that point on, she was terrified to even work with it. And she basically explained at this point, I'm so scared of it that when I feed it, I take it down and barely peel up a corner. I think it was in a sterilite box and throw a cricket in and put it back. So that's unhealthy. That's that's an actual fear. That's borderlining on like a phobia type, you know, situation where the anxiety you're getting for working with the animal is so bad that you don't even want to work with the animal. That's not a healthy situation. And that's where I think if if you're getting to the point where if you see one slap or one put up a threat posture that you now get huge amounts of anxiety, you're incredibly anxious to even work with it or look at it or feed it or do the maintenance. Yeah, now that's a problem. And that's one of those that's one of those fine lines that comes in. It can happen 
with anything. We, we're talking about old worlds because usually when I hear about it, it's with an old world because there's that extra threat of a bite. But it can happen with new worlds too. I've had it with the GBB is the big one that people get because they're considered usually to be, you know, on the higher difficulty end for beginner species if there is such a thing. And I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by the possible threat postures, the aggressive, you know, the kicking. They can, not aggressive, but the, the kicking. They can be really nasty kickers in their speed and they can bolt. And I've heard people talk about them bolting out of enclosures and freaking them out. So I think that's one that comes up a bit. But it can happen with anybody with any species, honestly. It just generally is more with the old world. So back to the original question or point at hand, it honestly depends on the level you're getting freaked out when you see it. I think it's natural if you see one strike at you. I mean, I'll go back to when I was in the hobby with snakes. I love snakes. I have no fear of snakes whatsoever. Pick them up. I would hand them all the time. But I certainly didn't want to be bit by one. And when I would stick my hand in and again, I've known people that would stick their hand in the snake would bite them, they'd laugh, peel the snake off, great. I, I, it's awesome, but it's not for me. I, I generally try to keep myself out of harm's way. So if one of them struck at me, yeah, I'd get the, that would be kind of a backup, carefully close the cage, take a deep breath, collect yourself, and then come back later on. You know, maybe with the, the trick we used to use is spray bottle, you spray them down a little bit and it tends to calm them way down. But it can happen with any type of animal. But I think where it becomes a problem where you have to worry about being scared of spiders. I mean, if you already have a fear of spiders and you have a tarantula that's lapping at you, that's got to be a pretty much a nightmare scenario. And that's one of those things you really got to kind of ease into it. Make sure you try to start with a species that isn't going to be potentially defensive. Unfortunately, in this case, I believe the individual that asked the question now has a Salmopia species. I'm not sure which one and a Pisolotheria. Now, where Pisolotheria, I'm not, they're not particularly prone to defensive acts. After raising, I have many, many Pisolotherias up from slings. I have received one threat posture and one slap. That was from my oldest P. Metallica that she's kept separately, not in the communal. And that was because I basically stuck a camera in her face and tried to film her up close and she slapped at the camera. That's it. And that was, it was defensive. When you played it back, there were no fangs bared. It was just get the heck away from me. So I don't think this individual will have trouble with the Pisolotheria. However, some PS, depending on the species, you know, you get in Armenia, they're known to either be very, very secretive or very, very bold. So that could be a bad situation. So I, I think the trick is it's natural to get a little scared when one of them comes at you in a defensive manner. I, I, let's just get that out of the way. And I have no problem admitting that. I, I, you know, I have the videos, I have the, all this stuff I do and speak out. I Please let it be known. I have no problem saying I freak out a little bit if one comes at me. I don't spaz, I don't scream, I don't, you know, go, I'm never touching this thing again, but it does get my adrenaline going. There you go. But I think if it got to the point where my adrenaline was going and then I couldn't calm down and then just looking at that spider's enclosure was getting my anxiety up, there you have a problem. So, you know, one trick I can just tell people that I used in the past where I had a spider, like I started doing it with my GBBs when I'd have to do maintenance on them, is drop a cup on them right off the bat. Like if they're out in the open, if it's a spider you can get to right out in the open and you're afraid it's one that's going to be a little bit nasty, may charge, may slap, take a cup, cup it right off the bat, put a weight on it and have it out of the way. So then you can work freely. You can take the water dish out. We don't have to have one of those videos where you do the water, you pour the water in the water dish and they attack you. You can just easily cup it because what happens twofold the the spider is safely contained it can't get to you you're safe even if it throws a little threat posture has a little fit in there it's 
out of the way, you're protected. So that gives you peace of mind. And the fact that a lot of them, once you cup them, the majority of spiders, if you cup them, it cuts down that airflow. They don't feel so exposed. Because again, part of the defensiveness comes from when you peel the top off their enclosures and they can feel the change in air pressure and the airflow. And that's where they realize I'm exposed and they freak out. You put the cup over them, a lot of them will calm right down. I've had ones in full threat posture, put a cup over them and they turn into total babies afterwards because they're just like, oh, all right, we're good because they're not so much eyesight based. It's all those little hairs that are picking up the change in uh, airflow and temperature. So cup them right off the bat. If you have a spider you're scared of and you're afraid of it, if it's one that you can you can get to safely. Now, say it's one that's in a burrow, you can do things like I've done stuff, like when I have to clean my pokey uh, cages out, what I will do is have pieces of cardboard that are cut that they're angled in the middle. So I score them in the middle so I can angle them. And then I can basically drop this piece of cardboard in and block off the area the spider's in so I can work safely around the side. So the lid's off, but the spider is safely contained with the cardboard. They're generally, they're going to run and hide anyway. And that can go cleanse them because I had to clean a bunch of poo off some of the ones because my Pisolotheria, those are the ones behind my head during my videos when I do my intros. And they basically poop all over whatever the sunny side of the enclosure is. So they basically poo cannon the whole side of it. It's festooning from the sides of the enclosure. So I had to clean them. So that was the best way to do it, block them off a little cardboard. So there's tricks you can do to avoid being put in that situation when you're doing rehousings. I mean, that's going to be the point where there's kind of no way you can avoid it. But Again, I implore people just try to be smart about it. If you know that your spider's out usually first thing in the morning, then as much as it may be a little inconvenient, it may save you some stress to come up and have your coffee early, get in there before the lights go on, pop the top and cup it before it even gets back in its burrow. That's a trick that I've used before. There's sometimes I don't catch videos of my spiders because I find it opportune time to actually do the rehousing and there's just no time to set up. Like if it's before I go to work, it's you know five in the morning, I'm not going to bother getting Billy out. That would be the worst video ever. We'd both be zombies. So just some things to think about. But again, I think it's a really good question. And I think for some people, there are obviously levels to fear of spiders. If you're just getting a little scared, if you can put it down and come back later on and not have it impact how you work with them, if it's not causing you nightmares over thinking of working with the spider, then you're probably in good shape. If you're new to the hobby and you've jumped in and picked up some of those species like the Salmopeus, like Formictopus perhaps, some of the species that are known to be ornery and they're freaking you out, it may be in your best interest and for the best interest of your longevity in the hobby to get them, you know, trade those off to somebody else if they're causing you that much stress. Don't keep something that you're scared of. That's the biggest thing I've said about the hobby that I've learned personally that I've had to go through myself is there's one thing to be cautious and prudent when you're working. It's another thing to be afraid of them. If you're afraid of them, that can cause huge, huge problems. That's going to cause, you know, if not you, possibly the spider to end up injured. So if you're scared of it, even if you love the species, you've done well with it, you got as a sling, it was gorgeous, it was cute, but now it's like three and a half inches and a little monster, consider trading it off until you get some more experience. Because I will, I do think, and that's one of the things that came out in the Facebook comments that the majority of us become desensitized to them enough so that they don't freak us out uh, as much. But that's a pivotal spot when you're just getting into the hobby and you had a fear of spiders to begin with and now you've got some defensive tarantulas. That could be a pivotal spot as far as make or breaking your tenure in the hobby. Either you get over it, you know, baptism by fire. Well, they're coming at me, but I'm going to get over this. Or you develop a huge fear of them. And I've seen it happen. I have. I tried to pull up the email before this, but I was getting all kinds of crud. But it was about five years back, somebody that was basically getting out of the hobby because she jumped in too quickly. And now was it rekindled her fear of them. And she basically said, my tarantula collection is sitting on a shelf. And she had her boyfriend that was taking care of him at the time, but he was getting sick of taking care of him. It was just a nightmare situation. So 
that would be my explanation for that. I please feel free to chime in. Are you one of the people that gets you know a little freaked out when they actually strike at you? I will say flat out, you know. And again, I don't run, we don't scream. You can see on some of my videos. It happens in some of my videos, and we don't edit it out. And I've had people come on and call me very not nice words that begin with a P. Whatever, dude. I mean, I just don't feel like getting bit by a spider. That's my claim to fame right now is that I haven't gotten bitten yet and I don't want to ruin that. And plus, I don't need to put myself in excruciating pain to prove how tough I am. I'm well beyond that stage. I'd like to think even when I was younger, I wouldn't be that dumb. But it's just something that I think people that are afraid of spiders start off afraid of spiders. Get in the hobby. This happens. It starts to play with your head. Don't let it play with your head. Take, Take charge of it. You know, again, drop a cup over them before you work. And if it's something that if you're just in the hobby, I don't care how much you love the spider. If it's causing you stress, rehome it, get to somebody else and, and don't bother putting up with that because that could end up ruining your, you know, developing love of working with spiders. All right. For the next part I want to do, this is going to be kind of a hodgepodge one today because I had some things I wanted to cover and sometimes it's just better to cover them all at once and get them out of there. But I've had some people ask about my avicularia, avicularia, metallica color. If I forget which number color form it is, there's a bunch of color forms. If somebody has that article. Could you please send it to me or give me a link on my Facebook page? Because I've been trying to find the thing with the, somebody sent it to me a while back or something about the different color forms they now think. There's like seven or eight or 12 of them. And I haven't been able to find it again to reference it. And I have notes, but I want to double check, make sure my notes are right so somebody doesn't call me up. But anyway, same Metallica because it has those little, you know, fiber optic looks to it. But as I detailed in an earlier podcast, I just to give the quick rundown, she was in a small one gallon container. I put her in a large, extra large critter keeper. She did well for a little while, ate molted and then after that wasn't eating really well there's one of the ones i worried that i put on some of that substrate that i've gotten i'm still not sure if it's a substrate that was killing a bunch of my spiders off but after the molt she just wasn't quite right and she was hanging out in the corner i was kind of tong feeding her because she would not come down she looked very stressed very stressed and I, I gave her, you know, plants, fake plants and everything, things to web or hide behind. It just wasn't helping. So I took her out of that enclosure and put her in a smaller, one of the custom made ones I got that I think is about five inches wide by eight inches across by 12 inches high, maybe a little smaller dimension, a little more tightly packed. And I figured that might help a little bit. I put her in there. She ate a couple times and then just hasn't been eaten at all. Incredibly skinny. Uh, I caught her drinking one day, but the next day she was all hunched up and looked almost, not death curl, but definitely not a healthy curl. And tried tong feeder, wouldn't take the stuff. I was finding the prey items. You know, I put the prey items in. I thought they were dead. And then I moved them. I found one of them dead underneath the cork bark. So not good. So I moved her again. And I know people are just know that people are hearing this. I normally don't tell people to move stressed or sick tarantulas because that just adds more stress to it. However, there comes a point where you start wondering, is there something wrong with the enclosure? Is there something wrong with the things in the enclosure? With her, it seemed like she just wasn't settling in. So I moved her into it. The containers are about seven and a half by seven and a half by about nine inches tall. They're the ones I use usually for my juvenile arboreals ventilated the heck out of it just in case there wasn't enough ventilation in it, put a water dish in, dry substrate, cork bark, little fake plant, dropped her in. She looked like totally miserable for a little while. And then I went to feed her the other day and my gosh, she actually grabbed the cricket like she was starving, dropped another one. She grabbed the other cricket. So she was eating. Then I went to feed her yesterday. I dropped roaches in and she went at those things like it was her job. It was amazing. So I dropped in like four red runner roaches, adult red runner roaches. She had herself a nice cricket burrito going. This morning I came in and for the first time in a while, she wasn't all hunched up on a piece of cork bark hiding. She was spread out on the side of the enclosure like a healthy spider. So what have I learned from this? I have no idea. Um, The only thing I can think of, and this is one of the things I've noticed with some of my Vicks, is that 
they tend to like with a piece of Lotharia, I can take a three inch piece of Lotharia, I can drop it in an extra large critter keeper, you know, big, you know, what are they, about six, seven gallons or so. And they do perfectly fine. They hunt, they find their prey. Avicularias and the Caribbean versicolors, they tend to be overwhelmed sometimes by that. Even if I, I put in foliage, but they don't always choose the spot with the foliage to set up shop. So what will ha- happen is I'll have like one whole side of the tank. We'll have the cork bark leaned in with some plants. And I put the plants on the ground and some plants on the cork bark. And the thing will decide to hunker down in the you know front corner where there's basically all the light comes from and there's no place to hide and then they just look very miserable. So I'm wondering if the smaller enclosure help. I did add more ventilation to it because it's, you know, well known now or well believed now that avicularia do require good ventilation. For years it was you got to keep them humid so people would put them in dank enclosures with wet substrate, moist substrate and no ventilation and they die and you get that sudden avicularia death syndrome. Um, I found that they do appreciate that airflow going through. So I don't know what it is. I talked to my buddy, Louis uh, Roquet, and he was talking about the fact that one of the things he was reading is an article talking about that some tarantulas really do need a day-night cycle, which is something I've kind of, I've done since the beginning. Part of it, I can't pretend like I'm like super bright here and that I came up with this on my own or didn't just stumble upon it, but part of it was I used to keep snakes. So you always had a day-night cycle with the snakes. So when I had tarantulas, they would get the day-night cycle too. And my theory was, in the wild, they're not going to be in the dark all the time. They may be nocturnal, but even nocturnal animals usually benefit from a day-night cycle. So I always have a day-night cycle here. I have a full spectrum, a lot of full spectrum lights in there, so they get like artificial sunlight during the day. Some of my spiders hide. Some of my spiders are right out in the open and seem to appreciate. Some of them will go toward the light and try to hang out by the light. So I've always done this, but what I did was allow a little uh, natural sunlight to kind of, I'm keeping the tarantula door open so we get a little natural sunlight there to see if that might have any impact. So I don't know what it is, but knock on wood, she seems to be on the men. So this is, I'm ecstatic about it because this is two spiders now. I have my H. chalensis female who did not eat yesterday. I took a red runner roach and wounded it because again, she's got those kind of gimpy back legs, so I don't want to make her work too hard, and dropped it in there, and she walked right up to it and pawed it, like, oh, here we go, and then walked right over it, and it was there the next day, so uh, we'll see how that goes, but she did get quite a few in her before she stopped eating. She is still very thin. Hopefully, I can get her eating again, but then this avicular, it makes me feel so much better because going into the summer, I was worried about both of these. I don't, I've made it very clear. I do not like it when my spiders get sick. I don't like losing spiders. I obsess over it. I don't think there's another way to put it because I've had people email me or contact me and go, man, I'm, I know this is ridiculous, but I can't stop thinking about what could have, no, I do the same thing. I won't be able to stop thinking, is it something on my end? Is it the plastic? Is it the substrate? Did I have contaminated substrate? Did I have a piece of cork bark that might have something on it? Is it mold? Although I found the mold really, that seems to be an overrated one. But everything, everything running through all the possibilities. So I'm glad they're turning around. I wish I understood more what changed. All I can say is maybe that that smaller enclosure was the trick. She seems to have settled down and been eating because a stressed tarantula won't eat. So it doesn't matter if they've been in their enclosures for months doing well. If something changes and they don't feel comfortable in those enclosures anymore, that's it. They might not eat. So fingers crossed she continues to do well. I'm hoping that she continues to put on weight now. I saw her drinking again the other day, which was a good sign. And we'll see how it goes from there. And finally, to end this one off today, all this might be and get a little bit long. A lot of times I say and finally, and then like 30 minutes later, the podcast ends. But the last thing I want to talk about today is I've had a few people over the past few months ask basically what's next in the hobby. What 
what determines when you become an advanced keeper? What are some things advanced keepers do? And I'm not going to devote a ton of time to this because I think I talked about this before and the overcomplication of the hobby and how I feel like a lot of times people that have been in the hobby for a while try to make things sound more difficult than they are. It's funny. It's a, it, it kind of works both ways. They'll jump on somebody, tell them they don't have enough experience to do something. You need to get more experience. That's difficult. That's tough. You you have to work with tarantulas longer. And then they'll turn around and somebody will say you know something and they'll jump on them and say, well, you know what? You're making this more difficult than it actually is. It really isn't that difficult to keep tarantulas. So it's like they keep people guessing sometimes. And it can be frustrating because I honestly don't think the hobby, and I'll say this, and you know, someday it might put me out of quote-unquote business as far as you know the podcasts and the videos or everything are concerned. But I honestly don't think the hobby is as difficult as people make it out to be. Are there things to learn? Yes. There are things to learn with every hobby. Are there animals involved? So you want to be extra care- careful with your care? Absolutely. But I think what happens is people get into it and they expect this profound moment where they're like, I have moved from a beginner to an intermediate. And I've been on forums where people have asked, how do I know I've moved from beginner to intermediate? Not realizing it's kind of an arbitrary, you know, designation. Who's to say? There are people that are in the hobby. I had somebody contact me and this is no joke. They were in the hobby for 20 something years. So they got, I think they got their first tarantula before I even thought about getting tarantulas and they showed pictures of their collection and the things were set up on like just the enclosures were not what most people agree are good tarantula setups. There were sponges in the water dishes. They were, um, they had a, uh, HRC lividus. It was on like a little like shallow substrate with a cup as a hide this was somebody that, technically speaking, was keeping old worlds, had kept for I don't know, 20-something years, and wasn't keeping them correctly. So in theory, when people talk about the, they'll start assigning amount of time that you have to be in the hobby. And you'll hear that. They're like, well, how long do I have to be in the hobby before I'm an intermediate? How long before I'm an expert? And again, I really don't think, or advanced, we won't use expert. I don't think there's any, well, there's some experts out there, but there are people who have been breeding for years, decades, that, you know, just off the top of my head, like a Tom Patterson who's been in the hobby forever. He knows his species. He can look at something and tell you what it is without, you know, even having to consult Google or look up images. People that really have been doing it for a while, and he probably wouldn't even claim that title, but there are people out there that are experts, but I'm talking about people like just hobbyists that want to know when I can be considered like an advanced keeper, and it's kind of just like made up. There really is no way to know, nor is it something you should be concerned with. It's not martial arts. We're not handing out belts. You're not like, all right, congratulations, you've moved to GBB, you're getting your blue belt. Um, Next time we'll get you, you know, a P. Muranus, and we'll get up the black belt level. It doesn't really work that way, and I think everybody comes at the hobby from a different angle, so it's tough to tell what types of things you should be doing when you become a quote unquote advanced keeper. So what I've had was people asking, you know, when do I know I'm an advanced keeper and what are some advanced techniques that I should be doing or some advanced things or activities that I should be doing to show that I've moved on the hobby and I'm I'm kind of at a loss. Um, I did explain, your, I think in a podcast last year about the fact where somebody came on and I thought it was funny, but I did take it to heart because the guy basically put said that he stopped watching my videos because they're boring and they're made for beginners and I never do any advanced stuff. And the odd part was it was after he had po- posted this up after I had done a couple rehousings with old world tarantulas. I had done breeding videos and I'm like, I don't know where else I'm supposed to go that's supposed to cater to advanced people. And I'm going to throw it out there. And this is probably shooting myself in the foot, but 
I don't honestly expect advanced people to be watching my videos necessarily. Like, I mean, maybe to just see what I have for species or I think sometimes with husbandry notes, it helps to, when you get something new to go, all right, I think Tom Moran's had this before he's kept it that way. That's totally fine. I do that myself. That's the only time I look up videos and such is when I'm looking for specific information from people that have kept them, videos of it, whatever it may be. But I have to be honest, I don't expect somebody who's been in the hobby for 10, 15, 20 years Oh, let's see what Tom's Big Spiders is up to. I'm totally okay with that. I'm expecting, I mean, I'm kind of the whole point of Tom's Big Spiders anyway was to kind of catch some people that were new to the hobby and give them a resource that they go to and feel safe asking questions. That was it. I wasn't even thinking toward advanced keeping. Now, as far as what things you should be doing as an advanced keeper, I don't know. I mean, I think one big thing is moving into old worlds. That's when you start picking up, you know, more skills and when there's a little more on the line, as we've discussed earlier in this podcast, because the bite, they're more prone to bite and the bites are obviously going to be nastier. I will say for myself as a keeper, one of the things that I've moved into is the bioactive enclosures. That was a big step for me doing something a little more advanced. And I think experimenting more with your enclosures and how you set them up and working plants, living plants into them is a more quote unquote advanced technique, I guess. I mean, does that mean everybody's going to move into bioactive enclosures? Nope. There's people that have kept them for decades and never ventured into it and have no interest in it. And I'm totally okay with that. And I'm fine with that. But I think for me, that was more of my evolution in the hobby. All right. I've got the husbandry down on most of these guys. I'm feeling pretty confident about it. Now I think I can balance the husbandry of a spider and the husbandry of a plant. That was a big one for me. Making cages. A lot of folks, once they get to a certain point, I think you kind of go through stages in the hobby where you first get into it. And the big fun thing is finding anything that'll work for a cage. We've all done it. You go to Walmart, Dollar Tree, Dollar Store, whatever place, the container store, and you look for stuff that would make a good enclosure. And you go, this is going to look great. You bring it home and you set it all up. You put your spider in it. It's great. I'm using these from now on. And then, you know, a couple months later, you find something else, similar size that you like even better. And you do that. We just rented a dumpster to clean out our garage and a big chunk of what I ended up putting into the recyclables were all the old enclosures I had used over the years that were just sitting there that I was never going to use again. But I do think that's part of the hobby, finding out what works for you, experimenting. A lot of people, that's a, you can't afford a spider or you, you don't have a lot of room. You go out, you try to find a new enclosure to play around with. That's part of it, setting up the enclosures. So I do think for some people, they will eventually probably go into making their own glass and acrylic enclosures. That's another thing that I plan on doing eventually. Now that the garage is clean, I really don't have an excuse. But I think for some people, moving into that as far as you know, an extension of the hobby. All right, I have my spiders now. Now I'm going to make it more difficult by creating enclosures that, you know, I like. And I, I will, I think that is a point most, a lot of people get into where they start realizing all these found ones, they have good points, they have bad points. You start thinking, what would my ideal enclosure be for say a fossorial species? That's when I would love to see something done for that. And I'd probably, if I'm going to make one, that's probably what I'll start with because right now I'm using the Sterilite bins. I don't want to use a big heavy aquarium because I pull them out all the time. So it's kind of like, what do I use? Um, what do I use for arboreals? I have, I like things open from the top and from the front. So I have a choice where to go. So that might be something to go into. Somebody emailed me recently and basically said they started making their own water dishes, carving their own water dishes. I think that's fantastic. And I do think a lot of the advanced techniques or advanced type activities that would go along with a hobby don't necessarily have anything to do with the spiders themselves. Because once you're able to keep moisture dependent species alive, you're able to rehouse some of the ornery old world species. Once you're able to breed, that's another one. A lot of people, when you first, when you breed tarantulas and raise, you know, you raise the sack, you raise them up, that's a huge, that's a feather in your cap. That's doing something that most people don't do or a lot of people don't do. So I think that's an indication that you're moving on. But I honestly think, you know, 
there's so many species in the hobby that for me, it shouldn't become boring or feel like repetitive if you're out there looking at new species. I think the fun comes from, all right, I've got these species here and this is why people end up with such huge collections. I'm going to try different species. The fun, it keeps becoming new because as soon as you get a new species, especially if you do the sling thing, you're growing it up from a sling. There's a lot of pride growing up for a sling. You get to watch the, the mannerisms. You get to watch the behaviors. You get to see it grow into an adult, hopefully a female, but males are good too. And I think that for a lot of us is what keeps the hobby fresh. The fact that there are nigh over 900 species of tarantulas out there. Not all of them obviously are in the hobby currently, but there are new ones popping up every day. That keeps the hobby fresh. Um, as far as keeping it fresh, when you've kind of gotten to a point where your collection is like what I got last summer, where I realized I need to slow down with my collection, make some room before I do a lot more purchasing of spiders, then you move into something else, making your own cages, lighting, people creating some of the stuff people have out there as far as tarantula rooms blow mine away. They're just gorgeous. So there are things you can work on there, making your own cage, making your own decorations for it, doing bioactive enclosures. Those are all things you can do to kind of just complement and reinforce the hobby and add a level of complexity that you may be craving after you kind of get your basic spider husbandry down. And then of course the breeding is a big one. Anybody that wants to take the time to do the breeding, it's an important part of the hobby and I don't do as much as I would like to, but between the podcast, the YouTube, answering emails and maintaining my own rather large collection, they're just isn't enough time. I have to kind of time it so it happens during the summer so I can care for them. And if it doesn't happen during the summer, then I have to wait. So that's something people could do as well. But I do encourage people, don't worry about it. Who cares what level you're at? I don't understand why this is such a big deal. I know when I first got on and, and started getting into the social media aspect of it and following the forums and stuff with the tarantulas, it was always like people coming on with, can somebody tell me, am I a beginner now or am I an intermediate? And it's like, who, who cares? Like, don't worry about it. It's not, you shouldn't be trying to get other people's approval. Like, obviously do your homework, keep your animals correctly. If you have a question, ask, but it shouldn't be a status thing where you go out and go, well, you may have kept for five years, but I've kept for eight years. It doesn't matter because again... I've seen people that have kept for five years that seem to have a heck of a lot better idea of how they should be keeping them than somebody who's kept them for 25 years. And I've seen people for 25 years that keep them amazingly well. It doesn't matter. It's it's all what you put into the hobby, how much research you do, how much care you take when taking care of your animals. And there is no higher authority assigning rank as far as tarantula keeping. So I really wouldn't worry about that kind of stuff. So if you're worried about what level you're at, don't. Who cares? Enjoy the hobby. When you feel ready to move into old worlds, that's when you're ready to move, move into old worlds. I've said it before. If you can do all your rehousings and you've had a couple incidents and things have stayed under control, you you know how to do your rehousings, you know how you do your basic maintenance, then by all means, if you're feeling okay with it and you've done your research, move up to old worlds. Nobody can really tell you when you're ready for that. If you're at a point where your collection has gotten to the size where you realize you're about to end up on an episode of Hoarders and you want to kind of slow things down, but you still want that thrill of getting new things in the hobby, then go into, you know, changing up your cages. Try something new. Start buying some nicer cages every once in a while. Set up some, I mean, again, I'm having a blast with the bioactive enclosures. That's something to look at. Making your own decorations, your own water dishes, you know, resin casting, whatever. Find something that complements it to keep you, you know, interested. But as far as advanced techniques for people that have been in the hobby, I don't know that they're really 
are any. It's just a matter of what you pursue after you start feeling comfortable. And so is the person that's kept tarantulas in sterilite containers and had like great luck with them and keeps them correctly for 25 years, not an advanced keeper because they haven't moved off and done anything else? No, that's ridiculous. It just means that they're comfortable with that level of the hobby. They don't want to graduate into something else. Somebody that's done it for five years, has a collection of 25 and has just started making their own acrylic enclosures and, and to their own specifications. That's great. Does it mean you're advanced? I don't know. That's not for me to decide. So I think it's it's a very personal thing. I think for those of us that get into the hobby, we realize it goes just beyond the spiders. It's finding those enclosures. It's making the enclosures. It's starting to set up beautiful enclosures. It's maybe breeding. There's a lot of things that come together that make the hobby more robust than just keeping little spiders in jars like a lot of people think we do. But I do think it's it's silly to even worry about what level we're currently at or stress that we're not doing advanced keeper things because we've been in the hobby for a while. That's just ridiculous. Do what you enjoy. Keep them correctly, by all means. Continue to do your research. I'm assuming anybody that's spending time to listen to me rant on a podcast for 40 minutes probably is out there doing their research on tarantulas, which is fantastic because a lot of people don't. You'd be amazed at the emails I get. People buy spiders, don't even know what they are, and you get the email afterwards. So thank you for that. Continue doing your research. Continue growing your collection. Continue doing whatever makes you happy with it. Just make sure the animals are well cared for, and don't worry about what rank or belt you are. All right, so that will about do it for this one. Sorry, that was kind of a mixture of a lot of things, but I like doing these every once in a while because things come up while, you know, in between and on the Facebook pages after I do the podcast. It was sometimes nice to go back and address some of these questions where they benefit everybody. As always, you can find me on YouTube under Tom's Big Spiders. Um, you can find my web website, Tom's Big Spiders, as well. You know, there's a big shocker. Uh, one thing I'll be talking about next time, I actually meant to do it this time, is I'm actually working on some T-shirts I'm uncomfortable about the whole logo t-shirt thing. It just seems weird. And I think part of it is in my mind, I'm a teacher. And like, although I've joked with my students at school, it's been a running joke. And they've all said they'd wear them, that we're going to get like Moran t-shirts for the, all the kids that are in my classes. But it's a joke. And I have a lot of people ask for logo t-shirts. So to make it, if you're not on my YouTube channel, this is where it's, I'm able to hit a big audience very quickly. But I put a couple surveys out for like, who'd be interested in the logo one. So what I'm looking at doing is the logo ones because people have asked. And it'll just be the simple, the purple or the orange logo, the two different logos. I use the circular Tom's Big Spires one. However, I do have an art background and I enjoy drawing sometimes. So one of the things I am doing, because I don't I don't blame people who don't want to have a Tom's Big Spire logo on them. I really don't. I, I, there are people that just might like a cool tarantula t-shirt. So I am designing some ones of different tarantula species. So, so far I've done C. Uh, Cyanio pubicens. I got P. Metallica, but the company I'm using won't let me post it right now because Metallica, the metal band, is uh, trademarked, and they're telling me it's in violation of that, so they threatened to pull my account because I was trying to make Metallica t-shirts. I kid you not. That was incredibly frustrating. And then the other one I'm doing is M. Balfouri, and I have an M. Balfouri one, and then I took some kind of you know feedback from people, which species would you like to see? So... While I'm doing these, the idea is they will have a picture of the spider on the front with the uh, scientific name on the back, just on the neck, like almost like a little logo will be my Tom's Big Spiders logo, probably using the ones for the videos, the square one, but kind of more like a brand logo. I don't want it plastered all over the back. I want to make t-shirts for people that just want to wear a tarantula t-shirt and don't want to necessarily promote a channel. I'm totally okay with that. So then hopefully we get more people that find something they like, and I'll do any, like I, I'm using um, probably... 
what one of the t-shirt companies i can't t teespring and it'll allow me to kind of do whatever i want so even if a bunch of them don't sell of one type for me it'll just be fun having different t-shirts of different spiders so i'm going to be doing a bunch of different ones so anyone who wants to chime in with a particular species they'd like to see i can't guarantee you you'll i'll be able to do all of them i also can't guarantee everybody's going to like the designs i come up with one of the things that came out is i put up you know a design i worked on which was something i liked and i would have worn and some people absolutely loved it and some people basically told me how i should change it so it's just going to kind of i'm going to do some different designs and try to play with some things hopefully there'll be something there for everybody if not totally understandable but these are things that like i would like to wear because i've looked at a lot of the tarantula t-shirts out there and some of them i think are kind of cool and some of them i'm not into so that's something if you want to chime in what species would you like to see um next one i'll be working on is the obt got to do the obt got to get something in there with some color and probably p smithy or p smithy dear lord b hammeri not p smithy and and we'll be looking to get those on just t-shirts hoodies and a lot of people wanted coffee mugs so we'll be doing coffee mugs and again this is a fun thing for me because i again the patreon thing i'm working on it but this would be a fun way to you know Get some cool. So I haven't done this in a while, and it's it's been fun to do. It's stuff that I'm buying. I've already got a couple of the t-shirts just for myself. So I figure I'll open up for people that want to you know pick something up. The ones that want to support Tom's Big Spiders and support the logo, I think that's fantastic. And thank you, I really do appreciate it and find it humbling. And those are like heck no, I really don't want that on me. Hopefully we got something for you. So anyway, feel free to chime in with what you'd like to see, and I will eventually put some of those. Maybe when I post this one up on Facebook, I'll throw a couple of those up as well, some of the images I've been working on. And again, I think some people will really like them. I didn't go for hyper-realistic on these because I wanted to do something a little more stylized with the fonts and everything because I have people going, oh, I want a realistic one. A lot of people do the realistic ones out there, and it's just I'm not – that's not my thing. But anyway, that'll do it for this one. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll catch you all next time.